Welcome, dear listeners, to your Ghost Stories podcast, your gateway to the realm of spine-tingling tales and eerie encounters. I'm your host, Jamie, and today we're going to try something a little bit different to the usual show format. Today, my co-host Nigel is going to guide us through the mysterious events of the Jatlov Pass incident. If you like this show, please do let us know in the comments on social media or by sending us an email at yourghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear your feedback so you can help shape and guide this brand new podcast. We want you to not only be part of this show and share your stories, we want you to help us make a great community of people and give us feedback as to what you love about the show or maybe even dislike about the show so we can make it more engaging, entertaining and damn right spooky. If you've been listening from episode one, you'll know that we're pretty new to the world of podcasting, but we're loving every second of it, chatting to amazing guests, hearing your stories and pulling back the veil of the unknown. We've also got a brand new website where you can find out more about the show, read about our mission and why we started this podcast in the first place. And if you wanted to, you can also learn more about us, your hosts. You can check out the website at yourghoststoriespodcast.com. Without further ado, I'm going to let you dive into this story with Nigel. You may not be aware of a highly tragic story that is riddled with a mysterious series of events which has led to many hypotheses ranging from the mundane to the outright paranormal. The series of events unfolded in Russia, January 1959, where a team of nine young hikers died in a mysterious circumstances on a then unnamed mountain now becoming one of the most famous mysteries of the 21st century to what is now known as the Dyatlov Pass incident. The group, led by group leader Igor Dyatlov, set out on a skiing expedition through the Ural Mountains in Sverdlovsk in order to achieve their Grade 3 certification. Grade 3 was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union, with tough requirements to traverse 186 miles. The duration of the trip had to be 16 days, with no fewer than 8 of those days to be spent in uninhabited regions, and with at least 6 nights spent in a tent. This qualification would allow them to teach their craft as true masters of sport, which they also desired to achieve. The group consisted of 8 males and 2 females, Igor Dyatlov, 23, group leader being the most experienced, Yuri Durenshenko, 21. Lubmila Dobinina, 20. Hori Kronenshenko, 23. Alexander Kolevatov, 24. Zanina Kolomogorova, 22. Rustem Slobodin, 23. Nikolai Thibaut Brenols, 23. Semyon Solutoryov, 38. Yuri Yudin, 21. They were well prepared and equipped for the journey ahead. They even had a suspended stove equipped with a flue to exhaust harmful gases from inside their tent, which Igor invented to keep them warm through the tough winter nights. We know from the diaries and photographs which many of the group members kept about their whereabouts on the trip. They set off on the evening of the 23rd of January from Sverdlovsk by train, over 200 miles to the town of Serov, arriving in the early hours of the 24th of January. The group caught up on some much-needed sleep and then spent that afternoon entertaining children of a local school. That evening, they caught another train taking them a further 100 miles north to the town of Ivdil, arriving there around midnight. There, they had to wait around a further six hours before they could catch the 6am bus out to the last inhabited settlement of Vizhai on the 25th of January. 
After spending the night at Vijay and stocking up on supplies, they ventured on their trek to an area known as Sector 41, having to spend a further night there. They left Sector 41 at 4pm on the 27th of January and travelled up the frozen Lovsa River in the dead of night and would reach an abandoned geological site in the early hours of the next morning. On January the 28th, Yuri Yudin made the decision to turn back due to rheumatism and psoriatic pain in his back and leg brought on by the cold. He could no longer continue, a decision which would affect him deeply for years to come. After saying their farewells to Yuri, Igor told him that he would send a telegram when they got back to Vijay, which was planned for the 12th of February, but told Yuri he expected it to be longer than that, which wasn't uncommon on these kinds of trips. So with that, they parted ways. Little did Yuri know, as he looked back at his friends skiing off into distance, that would be the last time he saw them alive, and the cruel irony that his afflictions would ultimately spare his life from certain demise which otherwise lay in wait for them. Until now, the group had travelled by road and rail, but from here on in the group would begin the arduous journey by foot towards the Yotorsen Mountains. Over the next few days, the group would progress towards their goal and photograph their breathtaking surroundings, as well as coming across many sites containing structures made by the Mansi people, who may have held them as sacred. This fascinated them. The Mansi people were native people to the area, and although there were tensions between them and the USSR, banning them from their religious practices and making their children attend public school, they weren't known to be hostile towards Russians. It is also worth noting that the deer trail they were following to Otorton started to dwindle and they eventually come across a recent hunter's tracks with deer, which they followed along until they were no more, and the group would find their progress slowed after to take turns of one member of the group making a ski track 10-15 to 15 minutes ahead for the others to follow in. The group held high spirits and on the 1st of February they cached surplus food and equipment in a wooded valley in order to lighten their load and for their return journey as they prepared for their ascent to Otorton. That day, as the hikers started to move through the pass, they only managed to traverse about a mile as they were hindered by the bad weather and poor visibility, putting them off course. They would find themselves up the slopes of Height 1079. With the daylight hours dwindling, they decided to set up camp. It is unknown why Igor decided to set up camp on the slopes rather than seek shelter in a nearby wooded valley which was only a kilometre descent but it's speculated that he didn't want to lose the altitude they had already gained combined with the daylight hours dwindling and also maybe there was a chance for them to practice pitching the tent on the slopes. They pitched camp and were settled in by 5.30pm. Still in good spirits they worked on a mock paper together called The Evening O'Torton which contained a humorous account of their activities over the past few days. Having eaten dinner around 6-7pm, to with Semyon and Nikolai believed to have gone outside to relieve themselves at some point, as they were found to be better dressed for the outdoors than any of the others. And this is where the events take a turn for the worse. At some point during that night, their tent was slashed open, which forensics determined that due to the natures of the fibres and how they lay, was slashed from the inside out and then they scattered down the slopes, with most of them wearing little clothing and barefoot towards the wooded valley they saw earlier, which would end in five of them dying of hypothermia, and the remaining four members dying of, of substantial injuries with missing body parts. By the 15th of February, families of the group were growing concerned they hadn't heard any news from the hikers via means of a telegram. 
After another five days had passed, with still no word, on the 20th of February, the families demanded a search and rescue operation to be mounted in order to find their loved ones. The first initial search party was manned by volunteers of the group's family members, pupils and teachers from the university which they attended. On the 26th of February, student and close friend Mikhail Sharifin found the group's abandoned tent on Koat Syakl's 30 degree gentle slope at an altitude of 800 metres. They stumbled upon a collapsed tent, blanketed by a delicate layer of snow on its top. The site was severely torn open, revealing their belongings still intact. As daylight dwindled and the rescue team remained hopeful, believing that their friends were nearby and alive, they made the decision to set up camp. Unbeknownst to them, just a few metres away, the frozen lifeless bodies of their friends lay. But it wouldn't be until the next day, the 27th of February, that the true horror of what had befallen their friends would unfold. So we are going to leave this one on a bit of a cliffhanger. Personally, I've never heard this story before, but find it a fascinating one to say the least. So a big thank you to Nigel for researching into this story and telling it in his own words. Also, got to say, very impressed by Nigel's Russian pronunciation there. If you want to hear the rest of this story, stay tuned over the next few days. The best thing you can do so you do not miss an update to this story or any future stories is follow us on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening. It also really, really helps us out and helps us grow the show. If you would like to hear more stories of this type alongside our guest stories, then please let us know. If you have any stories or experiences you want to share, the best way to get in touch with us is at yourghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com or you can check out our new website at yourghoststoriespodcast.com. Until next time, sleep tight.